following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Well, on that note, turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. We're going to start at verse 49, and that's on page 872 in the Pew Bibles. Um, 872, Luke chapter 12. There was a book written um, some years ago by a man named F.F. Bruce that was entitled The Hard Sayings of Jesus. Uh, He wrote a series of books. um, And I, I... admit I've only read the title. Um, I haven't read the book, so I'm not going to quote him very much. Just um, that I can't, uh, in in that book he wrote, he listed out 70 hard sayings of Jesus. Um, And I I can't imagine anyone being able to lay out 70 different sayings of Jesus that they considered hard without considering this one in our text this morning from the Gospel of Luke. In our brief text today, Jesus, um, Jesus describes a fire, a baptism, and the lack of peace. And those are three things that are worth our consideration this morning. I tried to use the text for the rest of the whole chapter so we wouldn't be stuck with three points, but I couldn't do it. Sorry. I just couldn't make it. So let's look at Luke chapter 12, um, 49 through 53 together. Hear the words of Jesus. I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Amen. (laughs) Yikes. Let's pray. Father, we obviously need your help this morning to understand what you're talking about here. Lord, we need your spirit to intervene, that you would open our eyes to see Open our ears to hear and soften our hearts to receive the message that you have for us. So we pray, Lord, now that your spirit would speak. That we would hear from you, not from me. We give you this time for your glory and our good in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Yeah, so this is going to be fun. Been looking forward to this. Um, It is a great temptation when... Uh, doing the work of interpreting scripture to confine the meaning of a particular image to only one meaning throughout the whole scripture, meaning like that if a particular author uses the image of light, uh, then then another particular author uses the picture of light also, and they mean the same thing. That would be really easy. Um, that's but that's not always how it how it goes. Um, Here in verse 49 of our text this morning, uh, Jesus uses the image of fire. I came to cast fire on the earth, 
and would that it were already kindled. Everybody knows what he means, right? So we just move on to to the next one. (laughs) So how is fire used in the scripture? Uh, Fire is used elsewhere in scripture to refer to God's judgment, right? God's wrath. Um, But is that what Jesus means when he says, I came to cast fire on the earth? Well, that's not why Jesus came, so that that can't be it. Some people, when they read this phrase, think of the Holy Spirit, the fire of the Holy Spirit, right? That's that's uh, is coming on the day of Pentecost, which happens, uh, you know, a year or so after this, when the Holy Spirit appears as kind of tongues of fire and rests on the apostles, and they're speaking in different languages and all that kind of stuff. Well, that would be exciting. Um, but is that what Jesus means when he came to cast fire on the earth? No, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, it doesn't really fit this context either. So, let's think about it for a minute. What, is, what does fire even do? What, why would Jesus use this picture at all? Um, well, Fire is used for a lot of things, right? I mean, um, but there are there are really two basic functions of fire, right? It consumes what is combustible, and it purifies or reveals that which isn't, isn't combustible. Paul uses this picture in 1 Corinthians 3, 12 and 13. I think I mentioned this last week or the week before. He writes, now, if anyone builds on the foundation of Jesus Christ with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay or straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. I think of the three little pigs, right? One builds this house out of straw and one out of wood and one out of bricks, right? And of course, the, you know, the big bad wolf didn't have a flamethrower or anything, just blew on it, but... Uh, imagine it's the same thing, right? Wood's going to burn up, hay's going to burn up, bricks, not so much. So what is this fire that Jesus is eagerly desirous to have kindled? Is it the fire of God's wrath? No, I don't think so. Is it the fire of the Holy Spirit? No, I don't think so. It's neither. The truth is, it's the fire of the gospel, right? What fire does is... It spreads, right? I'm happy to have members of the West Osby Fire Department here with me today. They can attest to some of these facts uh, as true. Fire spreads. This is Jesus' mission. He's, He's there to kindle the flame of the gospel that will spread over the whole earth, right? J.J. Van Oosterzee wrote that the fire was not to blaze up in its full power until after his death and resurrection. That's why Jesus is looking forward to this time when the fire is kindled. It hasn't been kindled yet because, unfortunately for Jesus personally, the gospel doesn't have an effect until his death. The world is content to agree, for the most part, that Jesus really did live. And he really did go around doing good and teaching others about God. I don't think there are um, a lot of people that will disagree with those facts. It's, it's historical record. But that is not a fire that has the power to neither consume nor reveal anything. 
just being nice. Jesus didn't come to teach us to be nice. Jesus came to earth to die. To die the death that we deserve because of our sin. He willingly left his home in heaven to become a man like one of us, only without sinning. And he willingly gave his life on the cross in our place. Jesus really did die. And three days later, he really did rise again. Now, up until this point in Jesus' ministry, he had been preaching the good news of the kingdom. Uh, but the people, even the disciples, didn't understand what it would take to enter that kingdom. Just hang out with Jesus and you're in, right? That's kind of where the disciples, the 12 apostles, are kind of stuck at this point. Just be with Jesus and everything's going to be okay. Well, there's some truth to that, but we need his death and resurrection in order for things to really be okay in the long run. It would take his death on the cross to enter his kingdom. Jesus knew that this fire would not be kindled and would not spread until his atoning death on the cross. Now think about it for a minute. Jesus is eager for this fire to be kindled. Why would Jesus be eager for this? Eager for his own death? It's because he loves you. And he knew his death was what's best for mankind. He knew that only through those flames can all impurity be purged from the earth. Only through faith in Jesus and his work on the cross. The image of fire here is pretty straightforward, I think. This is the fire that Jesus wants to spread. And it begins with his death and resurrection. But in the same breath, Jesus says in verse 50, I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it's accomplished. Everybody got that, right? We don't have to think about that at all. So Jesus starts with fire, right? He's mentioned fire. And when he mentions baptism, what do you think of? Water. Well, it's because you're wrong. He's not referencing water. That's not the baptism that Jesus is looking forward to. Jesus was already baptized with water in the Jordan River by John the Baptist, right? And that was long before this sermon, Jesus' sermon, long before mine too. So what baptism could Jesus mean? Think about when we baptize believers now. When someone comes to faith in Jesus and we baptize them, yes, we baptize them in water. But what does that symbolize? Death, burial, and resurrection. We get confused and think it's about washing. It's not. It's about death, burial, and resurrection. We are outwardly displaying our inward death to sin and resurrection into new life in Christ. Paul wrote in Romans 6, 3 and 4, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death 
in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's what baptism is about. Jesus was not distressed waiting for a baptism of water, but of earth, of death and burial and resurrection. He knew full well that the true fire of the gospel would not be kindled until that day, until his work on earth was completed. So now, as far as hard sayings of Jesus go, those two walk in the park compared to the next one. At least I think so. Verse 51. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No. No, I tell you, rather division. From now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Now, those aren't specific categories. Jesus is saying generally everybody is involved here. Families are going to be divided. I'm glad, uh, unfortunately for Ben, we're not quite to the Advent season yet. Um, I'm not ready um, because it would be pretty tough to preach this text at the same time talking about Jesus as the Prince of Peace. That's, wait a minute, how do we reconcile that? How do we reconcile these thoughts? What was the song the angels sang to the shepherds, right? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among, among men with whom he is pleased. Every Christmas we read Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. So, how do we make peace with this conflict? (laughs) Sorry. How can Jesus say that he did not come to bring peace, but rather division? Well, the fact is simply this. Peace with God creates enmity with men. Peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ creates division among people. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. It's this peace by faith in Jesus that has divided friendships and families for centuries. Again, our friend J.J. Van Oosterzee wrote, When the Holy One of God comes into personal contact with an unholy world, a shock and strife is inevitable. And that not only against him personally, but also among men themselves, inasmuch as these begin to distinguish themselves into adversaries and subjects of his kingdom. I'm sure there's many stories here 
um, in this room about this kind of division. Where those we love just cannot tolerate any more talk about Jesus or about his church. How many of you have been asked, what happened to you? You used to be fun. And now it's just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus all the time. You're some kind of religious fanatic. Well, when we stand for Christ, we'll find others, even those in our very own household, that stand against him. That's the kind of division that Jesus was talking about. Jesus wasn't advocating division, but rather predicting the inevitable. This is what is going to happen. You are going to experience it. Jesus knew this kind of division personally. He wasn't just waxing poetic about it. His own brothers didn't believe him, at least not at first. There's only a few that we know that he that actually did believe in him. The rest we don't know. For the most part, they thought he was crazy. We've read about that in the Gospel of Luke already. But this is one of the great blessings of being part of a church family. We all get to be crazy together, right? And fan the flames of the gospel so that it will spread and that others might know Jesus and put their trust in him regardless of the opposition they might face, that we might face. Peace with God is better than peace with men. Unity with Jesus through faith is better than unity among our family members and co-workers and friends. I've come to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. You think that I have come to give peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. Jesus took his mission personally. We can't forget that Jesus was fully man. And when we read about him in the Garden of Gethsemane, how he's sweating drops of blood, asking God if there's any way for this cup to pass from my lips, but not my will, but your will be done. He knew what it would take. And that doesn't mean that he wasn't distressed by it. He knew what it would cost him. And he knows what following him will cost us. But on both counts, it's worth it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great grace, your great love for us, that you sent your son Jesus to live and to die for us, that you provided a way for us to have peace with you, even if it meant division amongst our own families. We thank you, Lord, for your church, that we can gather together as believers, new and old and even not yet, to gather together and 
support one another, love one another, pray for one another, and do this life together. What a great gift. Father, we thank you for your plan. Thank you for making us part of it. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.